I'm pleased to see that you guys came back. For you guys who came back who've been with us for three weeks. Because it's been tough. Three weeks of, of Paul making a really strong argument. This guy Paul who has this incredible turnaround in his life. He sets out to destroy God's church and becomes kind of one of, if not the main leader of, of Jesus' movement and the beginning of, of the church and people who are following Jesus. And Paul, more than, not more than, but, but just as much as anyone knows the gospel, knows this good news because it's made this radical transformation in his life. And he writes this book to, to the church in, in Rome saying, here's the good news. Here's the Christian faith. Here's what Jesus did. But he begins it by saying, we're all broken. We're all sick. We're all in need of what Jesus came to do and, and accomplished. And it's harsh and it's hard, but it's out of love telling us the truth. And so we warned you the last couple of weeks, this is like the wor- these are the worst messages at Lifestone because they're, they're the bad news. They're the bad news to show us how good the good news is. It's the doctor being honest and caring and loving enough to go, there is a serious cancer that we cannot ignore. I, I might, you might not even recognize it totally. You might walk out of my office going, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not a good doctor if, if I've found something that's that's an issue that's life-threatening, and I don't share this with you and tell you all about it. And that's what Paul does in these, these first uh, you know, few weeks that we've looked at this passage, the first couple chapters of Romans. And I love, he goes through everyone. He says, okay, the people who we know are evil. All right, you guys know those people? Right? Yeah, you guys know who I'm talking about. The people who, yeah, okay, they're obviously evil. The people who, yeah, our culture, our society would even say, these are people who, who steal and rob and murder and, and whatever, you know, evil thing we, we, we could think of. They obviously need forgiveness. They obviously need what Jesus came to do. But then Paul says, okay, all you people who think you're good, you're not really good. You're not good when we look at who God is and the character and nature of who he is. That you, you like to compare yourselves to other people and try to find someone else who you can look down upon and say, well, I'm better than them, so I'm okay. But that's not going to cut it. And we are all evil in the sight of God. We all fall short of his glorious standard. And then last week what we looked at is the religious people. Paul says, okay, here's these two big categories, but there's probably even another group, and they may be in the most danger because they think their religiosity, their, their, their ceremonies, their, their position within the religious culture or community that they're in, they think that that surely is going to be all they need when they stand before God one day in judgment. And Paul's like, no, <laughs> that's absolutely not the case. And, and, he, and he talks about and reveals what the people outside of that religious community know about those religious people. They know your heart. They see it. You know you're guilty of sin and, and doing the very things that you're pointing the fingers at other people for doing. You do. It's obvious. So he's, he's painting a pretty broad brush. The people who everyone, okay, they're evil. People who think they're good, no, we fall short too. 
And and, in the religious people, you might be in the biggest danger because you're in denial, maybe at a whole other level. But we're all in denial. And that's what you think about any serious issue that anyone has. The only way that they can have any serious solution or cure or healing from it is if they get out of denial, right? If they're, if they're just in denial, they will never truly address the problem. They'll always just be in this delusional state of, I'm fine, I'm okay. Like We know that in other areas of addiction and relationship issues and things like that. And Paul is, is desperately out of a deep love for all people who God would use to, to, to use his words uh, uh, to, to share with other people throughout the ages. He wants them to get out of denial, to not live in a delusion thinking they're okay and missing the good news or, or not understanding how good the good news really is. So that's kind of what we're going through. And then today we get to the great solution that you're broken. Or I should just do this. <laughs> I should do this every time I preach. You're broken. You're messed up. I could do that to Sean. He's okay with me doing that. He won't hurt me. Because <laughs> we're all broken. We should all point to ourselves when we, when we really read and see what Paul is declaring and how God is using him to share that with us. So that's, what, that's where we are, and, and here's a little bit, this is the good, the, the, the better side of, the, this will be, on the flip side, the best message you've ever heard, and it has nothing to do with my ability and my lack of ability to present a message, but the message itself is the best message that we could ever know or hear. If there's one message this church would proclaim, um, and we only had to choose one, it would be the one that we're really going to focus on this morning. What is the gospel? What is the good news? And in Romans chapter 3, it paints a very clear picture of what that is. But Paul's not done yet. He still just has a little bit. He is really good at beating a dead horse. Because he wants there to be no ambiguity about the message he's trying to share. And so in Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 9. And he says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. So he's got one final thing that he, he includes his Jewish brothers and sisters. We've got the good people, the people who, who are, most people would say aren't good. And we've got the religious people. And, and, and let's not forget, there's, there's a group of people who think just their heritage And the fact that God, in a beautiful way, did choose a certain people and group to reveal uh, himself through and work through. But that's not going to make you right with God. He's making sure that everybody's included in the truth of where we stand, that we're all in need, that we're all broken, that we're all rebellious against God. And then he starts quoting scripture. He starts quoting what we'd, we'd call the Old Testament, He starts going through and saying, God has not changed his plan. He's not kind of making it up as he goes. Well, humanity did this, so let's go down this road. He knew before he even created humanity in the world what was going to happen, what the choices are that we would make, and what his solution would be. And so he starts quoting and saying, look, 
The scripture that, that, that we know that he knows as someone who has all this religious training has revealed this, that nobody's righteous, no, not even one. Verse 11, no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And you might think, well, that's too extreme. And what is, is he using hyperbole here? Like what's happening here? But our sinfulness, the fact that when we compare ourselves to God, any good thing that we do, any way that we try to reach to God and, 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 and meet his standards is tainted by our rebellion and by our sin and by our wickedness. And so ultimately, this is how we stand before God. All have turned away. Verse 13, their, their talk is foul like a stench from, from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. And he's painting a picture of humanity. And I know it's easy. We try to exclude ourselves and think we, ha- we have reached a higher standard and we're just fooling ourselves to think that we meet the ultimate standard. And so uh, he says, and, and I love how he'll end in verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So he's talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's saying, we're guilty. We've been giving God's guidance more than other uh, people, perhaps. But, but we're guilty. We, we haven't followed it completely. And when we haven't followed, as Jesus would teach on the Sermon on the Mount, when we've missed even one part of it, we've missed the whole thing. It's all interconnected. And the standard is perfection. And, it, and he says, here's what the law was meant to do. My kids recently, all three of them had strep throat. Boo. I, don't, I didn't get it, I don't think. Maybe I did, and I'm just super tough and didn't notice. No. <laughs> My wife would really laugh at that. <laughs> um, but uh, all three of them, and, and so I took them all to the doctor, and they all um, got the test. You know, they did the swab, and they all did the quick little 10, 15-minute um, uh, strep throat test. You know, and when the doctor came back each time and said, yep, they have strep throat, uh, my, my reaction wasn't, oh, okay, good. The test showed they have strep throat. They're all good now. All right, you guys probably feel better. Let's go. I know that sounds weird, but that's what Paul's saying, that Scripture is not the cure. Scripture is not the way that we can be right with God, it reveals, it's only showing us God's standard. And the reality is obvious that nobody can match that standard. We talked last week and maybe even the week before how there, there is two ways to be saved in the Bible. One is to follow God's ways perfectly and be perfect like he is. And the other one is to have the perfection of Jesus, the gift that he offers of his his work and his perfection, that we accept that, that we realize we need it and we accept it and receive it. And the first one is impossible and, the, and, and God's word reveals to us and that's what Paul's doing and, and God is using Paul's words in these first couple chapters to show us 
We all fall short. But here's the solution. So, okay, it hasn't gotten beautifully encouraging yet, but we're all broken and we're all sinful. And it sounds like I'm de- beating a dead horse, right? I'm just trying to be true to my brother Paul. Um, so it goes on. And, and, and we talked, you know, I, I talked about the race to Hawaii, the swimming race to Hawaii. If you guys were with us, maybe you remember that. And how we try to, you know, judge ourselves compared to other people and God standing in Hawaii going, well, if you don't complete the race, you don't get any credit and none of you even come close. <laughs> You know, but, but we compare ourselves sitting on the California side going, hey, you know, I did better than them, and I swam farther than them, and he just jumped in and drowned, you know. And, and uh, another way I, I thought, I heard a good illustration, I thought of, you know, it's, it's us who think we're good or think the religion, anything that Paul goes through that thinks that makes us right with God, and we think we stand on a higher hill or a higher mountain of righteousness, and we look down at these people who aren't doing as well as us in the valley, and even the really bad people who are in the valley, and they've dug a hole, and they're in that hole. And we're like, look at us. I went to church on Super Bowl Sunday. Check me out, even though the game doesn't start for two hours after church. Um, you know, or whatever we think. The, you know, I'm a good person. I'm whatever, I know the Bible. You know, whatever we think is making us right before God. But... What we need to understand is eternally what we're trying to get to is heaven. And that would be the comparison infinitely above us getting to heaven and we're standing on a mountain thinking we somehow have gotten partway there. And that's just not the case. So Paul's, again, just saying that's where we are. That's where we are. Romans 3.21 is one of the most beautiful statements. It starts out, This is something, if you highlight your Bible, if you circle things in your Bible, this should be highlighted, underlined, circled, um, you know, dog-eared, the the left and right page. For some reason, Bibles always come with these tails, you know, like, hey, if there's any place you want to put the tail, put it there. Um, this This is what makes the difference. This is what changes everything. So if you're in a funk... Paul kind of wants you to be there because he wants the truth and the reality of where we stand before God to help us know how beautiful the gospel is, to help us know um, what the cure is. And so he says, finally, but now. And, And there's a couple things before we get to the solution. You're like, come on, hurry up. But just real quickly, there's some things that are going to be addressed, sin. And I've heard different Interesting definitions of sin that, that our culture has or people with different religious backgrounds have. You know, it's, I've heard sin being just something that applies to not following church rules or something. Um, sin, if, you ha- if you've kind of been exposed to some Bible teaching or been in church, many of you know that it's an archery term. And, and it means missing the mark. But it's actually more than that. The, the, the actual word that's used there. Um, it, it means a little bit more than just missing the mark. It's to not have union with. It's to break the union that is intended and desired and to not have that union. So, so that's really what the word means. So, you know, if you're doing archery and you're trying to hit a target and you pull back and, and you want the arrow to hit the bullseye perfectly... The picture that we get, yes, the art, you know, it's used in archery, 
but that you want that perfect union of the arrow and the bullseye. And, and, and sin is, is, a, a, uh, uh, is anything outside of that. That that union that is desired is, is not there. It's a relationship that is broken and messed up. And that's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God, and it causes a disunion with God because we were created to have perfect union with God. We were created to have a perfect relationship and fellowship with God. That's, our, that's why we were created, to do that in a way that brings him honor and glory that he and he alone deserves. And sin breaks that and is something distorted or off of that. Um, the other word that, that will come up in this passage that's really, really important because Paul's thorough and he's, he's smart and he gives a sophisticated, uh, a full, complete uh, picture of the cure, of the great solution. So, so he'll talk about atonement. And, and different translations might, might use different words. We are blessed today to have many very faithful English translations of the Bible. And I say that because they, they, they have gone through painstakingly, uh, painstaking processes to make sure, uh, looking at the wonderful, miraculous, supernatural way God has preserved his word, and then the way that we put it into the English language, we have some different uh, translations is what we would call them. But they all are very, the ones that uh, the Christian community would say these are true and faithful um, they all are saying the same message. And sometimes there's different words are used. King James is one that's been used in the English language for a long time. Came out way back in 1611, I think. Um, and so back then, it was the English that they used was more of a Shakespearean English. So it's a little hard to understand at times. And now we have more modern translations. I like the New Living Translation. The way my brain works, it's, it's, it might sound the most close to the English that we use today. The NIV is also one that's closer to the English uh, that we use today. The ESV, I don't know, you guys are like, really, you're going into uh, Bible translation? Sure, why not? Um, it's a great study Bible, and there's, we could go into the different um, uh, philosophies and strategies of how they translate those, but we are blessed today. Like, like maybe never before, and maybe as far as a language, we may be more blessed than any other uh, group of people who speak a, a specific language to have more uh, available in our language. But the message is the same. The message is the same. So as you read through that, there's going to be some terms, though, that I want you to know, and you might see different ones. Atonement is one that Paul will talk about. And that simply means uh, to appease God, that God is a God, is a perfect God, and in His perfection, Paul will point out time and time again that He's a just God, that He's a just God, He's a just God. He says it again and again, and and rewords it in different ways, because any person, judge, parent that isn't just is not good, and we recognize that at, at different levels. But some people today say, "Well, I just want a loving God." Well, a loving God, a perfectly loving God, will also be just. And, and so in his justice, he cannot ignore our rebellion. He cannot ignore what Paul points out 
for a couple chapters and all these different groups. He has to deal with it. And he would be less than just. He would be less than perfect if he let things go and didn't address them. And so, um, and it's interesting, throughout human history, it seems like people have had this understanding that, that there's something greater than us. Most of, of human culture and society, there's something bigger than us. We, we didn't just come, I didn't create you, and you didn't create me, and we're here, and there's this world around us. There's some God, and, and most cultures have come to some kind of understanding that something greater and bigger than us must have maybe a different standard, a higher standard. Every culture, I think, recognizes another argument Paul makes when he's going through all these people. You think you're good? You think you're bad? Oh, you just want to throw out all of Scripture. You know that there's a sense of oughtness, a sense that you ought, you ought to do this and people oughtn't to do that. Yes, you're going to use that word later this afternoon. Somehow, work it in a sentence. I oughtn't to order this for lunch. You know, I don't know. But there's a sense of right and wrong. Paul makes that argument. He says, when you condemn anyone, you're saying, by, by that rationale, you, you're saying, well, those people are evil. Then you're recognizing that there's evil. And just the concept of evil, the concept of right and wrong, shows that there must be something greater than just a cosmic accident. Because there's something that is, is at a higher level than just the material. And so... Anyways, that's kind of a side note, but to what atonement talks about is that there's this idea that, that we have come short of God, that we owe him something, that we've broken his laws or his ways or rebelled against him, try to be our own God or, or whatever, and that we have to pay a price, that something has to be. And we've had Paul would be in an, a time and a place where they were horrible examples of what people thought was an atonement for God. They would do things like infant sacrifice, thinking somehow this, this pure, perfect life will, will somehow cover the sins of me or our community or whatever. But they, there's some sense that was given to people, so he'll talk about how Jesus and what he does is um, appeases God's wrath and judgment. And that's something people don't like. That's not PC today or popular. That's not the God when we want to write our own Bible, we don't like to... You know, my version of the Bible, what makes me feel good, doesn't have that. Well, praise God that we don't just make up who God is. And, and, um, and we have a God that says earlier in chapter 2 that he's holding back his wrath and anger against sin. And again, that's something we're like, I like just the loving God. But it's connected to his love because he's pure and holy. But he's patient and he's done everything he can to, to offer people a solution. And, and, and we live in a time where he's holding back his wrath and his anger. Yes, we have a God who is described as angry against the sin um, towards him. And so that's what atonement is, paying for that. That justification is to be found right in front of God, that you're declared Okay, because uh, all of us, Paul would point out, the Bible points out that we all stand guilty before God. But because of Jesus and what he does, we can be justified. One way to, to remember it helps me, just as if I'd never sinned. Not because anything we've done, but, but that it's just given to us as a gift that someone else has made us right. So when he talks about justification, 
um, or righteousness, that it's a righteousness that is given to us and we stand before God right or justified, but it's not based on what we've done. It's based on a gift that's been given that we've received um, and redemption. And then he'll end with redemption in this chapter. And redemption is a slavery term. We talked about in Galatians 4, 7, that we are adopted into God's family and we're pulled out of bondage. We're pulled out of slavery. This picture that sin enslaves us, our own rebellion against God, we are, we are bound by that and the consequence of it. And that that's a part of what God does as well. He's very, very thorough. He pulls us out of that bondage that sin, the result of sin. So he goes on, all right, we'll get to it. Romans 3, 21, everybody highlight, asterisk, circle, underline. Yeah, this is, the, I mean, this is the good stuff. This is what changes everything. If this isn't in here, like, I'm not, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow any of this. I don't want to, and what's so sad is we go through this. Last thing I'll say about it, and we'll read it. It's so clear. It, it, it really is not, God is not trying to hide his truth and only some intellectual, um, you know, trained theologians can help you decipher it. I, I hope as you see how clear this is that the Christian message just resounds through this in clarity of how we are right before God. And the only way to get around this is to somehow dismiss it and say there's some problems or issues or this has been twisted or changed or something, or or there's some other teaching that has higher authority that somehow would dismiss this. Or, 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 you know, but if you you understand that this is God's word and his message to us, I mean, I just think it's incredibly hard. Sorry about that. I think it's incredibly hard to get around how crystal clear this is. So it says, but then... Um, now I'm flustered. Okay, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Bad news, bad news, bad news. But there's a way, now I broke it, to be made right with God. And God didn't change his mind and have another direction like we said earlier. That it, this is, falls in line with what God was doing all the way, read back from his original revelation, his oldest revelation. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So all of you are broken and messed up. God made a way for us to be right and perfect with him. And it is by placing our faith, our trusting belief in Jesus, putting our trust in him. And, and no one's excluded from that. No one's gone, ran away too far from God. And think of Paul going, oh man, I used to like go out to try to kill and, and destroy Jesus' followers. And, and God, I'm included in this forgiveness so no one ex- is excluded. You've never, you haven't, there's not a person in here or a person who, uh, who's ever lived that has gone too far away. That's how great God's forgiveness is and how great and how sufficient what Jesus did was on the cross. Okay, um, 
I get so excited about this stuff, I probably over-explain it. So I apologize for that. But 22, we are made right with God. We read that. Verse 23, for everyone, one of the most famous verses in Scripture, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. And that's a good question. Some natural questions come out of what Paul teaches that he addresses, and that's a lot of the remainder of Romans. Like, okay, so, so if this is the case and we do nothing to be right with God, then why would we live for him? And why would, and he addresses those kind of things. And, and uh, he addresses a question, kind of a common question there too. Um, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus has sac- uh, sacrificed his life by shedding his blood. Verse 26, oh, and I'm sorry, I, um, this applies to times in the past that Jesus' sacrifice is so sufficient because a lot of people, the question that they'll ask is, what about people before Jesus? And it is trusting that, that God is, is offering this sacrifice and offering grace. And, and it says that his, his sacrifice is not bound by time. That God, of course, he invents time. He speaks time and creation into existence. And so it's not bound by, by that. So it says his, his sacrifice applies to people who would trust that God was making a way of salvation even in, in the past. For he was looking ahead and, and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And you see, he just says it again and again and again. It's a belief. It's a trusting confidence in Jesus is what makes us right as sinners before a holy, just God. A couple things I want to point out that sin does. Um, and just, just in the last few minutes here. Number one, sin separates us from ourselves. What is this sin, this rebellion against God, not following God's way, making ourselves our own God, saying we're in charge? And sin separates us. It's a, it's a personal, internal issue that, that gives us a sense of guilt and, and pain even within ourselves. Um, in Mark 7, 5, I won't read this whole passage, but Jesus was, uh, he was with his uh, inner circle and the, the religious people were always looking at Jesus going, hey, how are they messing up? How are they not as good as us? But, you know, and they didn't like the, the attention that Jesus was getting. They were just stuck in a lot of religious thinking and ideas. And one thing is they had this ceremonial thing where every time they ate, they ceremonially uh, washed their hands from the tip of their fingers to their elbows and it was something that set them apart. It was a religious ceremony that showed that they were really better than other people. And that God, they were more of God's favorites because of these things that they would do. And they noticed Jesus' crew wasn't doing that. 
they were like, ooh, there's some, we can get them on that. That's, you know, that's some bad stuff right there. And so in uh, verse 5, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? And that's a key right there. They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. I said, what? That doesn't sound very Jesus-like. He fires at them in a, in a stern way. Some translations, I think, even put it in a more uh, kind of a harsher way. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He was always the most frustrated with religious people because they were the ones saying, we represent God. This is who God is. And these are the things that will make you right with God. And when that was a message, when people would stand in that position and say, I represent God and this is his message and it was completely off and wrong, God himself, Jesus, that, that was very frustrating, as you can imagine. Imagine, and, and out of love and heartbreak for the way that they were misdirecting people, you would see this, this frustration come out. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far, far from me. Their worship is a farce, and they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And that's what they would do, take their traditions, and somehow these traditions that we do, these are the things that make us right with God. But the point I want to make, and I kind of want to make this uh, quicker than going through this whole thing, it's an interesting teaching that Jesus uh, teaches, but he talks about where sin comes from and how, what it does to us, and it's an internal thing. So um, he goes on, verse 14, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear all you listening, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to come uh, to get away from the crowd, and the, his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand, Jesus said. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Because they thought they were right because they did the ceremonial washing, and so anything they put into their body, then they continued to be clean and pure and perfect. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Your sin issue is is an an internal issue. It's a heart issue. Can't you see the food you put in your, your body can't defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach, then goes into the sewer. Yes, Jesus was being very graphic. By saying this, <laughs> it just goes out and then it goes out. Um, by saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within you. You are what, uh, you are what defile you. So people who think that this sin issue is something just following external rules and how it appears to other people, he says, no, it's an in, it's, it's within you. It's your own heart. Number two, sin separates us from others. You know what the problem in your marriage is? You married a sinner. Why do we have problems in relationships? Because sin puts a strain on those. When we perfectly love and we perfectly are self-sacrificing and we, per- and we do that with each other, we don't have relationship issues. Even something that's kind of hard for me to even share with you and, 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 and kind of think about is the reputation that someone who says, I'm a Bible-believing Christian has in our world today. 
If you were to ask just the average man on the street, my, my buddies and friends that I, I used to connect with before really giving my life to Jesus, hey, what, what's your opinion about a Bible-believing Christian? It's usually not super positive. And, and, and we know that's, that's because even us who know Jesus, we continue that, that sin is an issue. That, that anything short of, okay, oh, a, a Bible-believing Christian? Oh, man, that's the most loving self-sacrificing, wonderful person you've ever met. And I've heard that testimony for a lot of them, for a lot of us, you know, because I think many people might say, yes, I, I, I'm in that category. But it separates even, even uh, us who know, who know the truth. Sin uh, separates us from others and strains our relationships. Number three, sin separates us from God. And that's what the definition of sin, it's that breaking of that union that we talked about. He's eternally holy, perfect, and pure. And, and we were created to worship and honor him. And when we twist that around and turn that around and go our own way and rebel against him, it separates us from that, from that relationship. So verse 27, he goes on, and we'll wrap up. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. I think that's the third or fourth time he's made that point. We're right before God. Why? Because of just faith. It's just this trust and confidence in. Um, so we are made right with God through faith. Oh, wait, there he goes again. Uh, he's so repetitive. And not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he only the God of the Gentiles? Or is he also the God of Gentiles? Sorry, of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. So people who might say, okay, there's this God for this certain group of people, and, you know, God, he's just a God that there's all sorts, sorts of different ways he's revealed himself, you know, to people of this religion and this faith and this part of the world and this ethnicity. And the Bible declares absolutely not. And that would be a horrible, if there was some other way to be right with God other than Jesus, what he did, going through the humiliation and the sacrifice and the pain that he did to take on my punishment, if there's some other way of enlightenment or some way to be right with God, that is a horrible, cruel thing that God would would do that when there's some other way. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden, right? said, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering that I'm about to go through. If there's any other way, and what does he do? He goes on to the cross because there's no other way because that's another popular cultural thing. Well, that's good for you and your you know, Christian faith and everything, that's fine. That's not what the Bible declares. It declares there's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's only one God for all people. There's only one way. Uh, well, then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. Now, preview to next week as we wrap up this morning. That's where he's headed, answering some of the... I, I hear this question. I, I've seen people wrestle with this free gift of grace through Jesus, especially if they grew up in some kind of background that says, no, 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 you got to do all this religious stuff. you got to be good. you got to do these ceremonies to be right with God especially if that's their background, then it's hard to wrestle with. Wait, it's a free gift given to me and I just receive it in faith? That's all? 
And it's not a that's all. It's, it's, got, it's incredible. It's the most incredible thing that's ever been accomplished. We just don't accomplish it. We're given it as a, as a free gift. And, so, and that's a hard thing. Uh, what, what is the law? How does that factor in? So we'll talk about that next week. Only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. And he'll flesh that out. So having faith in Jesus, the great solution to to finish out your program, number one, atones for my sin, pays the penalty for my sin. Jesus on the cross is paying my penalty because God is a just God. He can't ignore sin. Sin has to be paid for and dealt with. And he's so loving and kind, he does it himself. Number two, we're justified, justified me in spite of my sin. So having faith in Jesus justifies me in spite of my sin. And that justification is not that we can, we're just perfect in this world. We still have this sinful nature and we wrestle and we struggle. But our legal standing, justification is a legal term, our legal standing before God Almighty is one <coughs> of being made right, of my debt is paid in full. So if I died it today, as I like to ask a lot of people, like, okay, you stand before God, and he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? And if it's anything, if it's any effort, well, I and did this, and I'm pretty good, and I didn't mean to die, and I, uh, you know, whatever it is, if it's I did something, or I tried something, or I had good intentions, any of that, we're not fully understanding how we're justified. It is, I stand before God, why should I let you into heaven? You shouldn't. But you offered me a free way to get in through Jesus paying my price to be justified, to be made right. And his righteousness is credited to my account. I don't deserve it. Your gracious, incredible gift is is what you've offered to me, though, and I've accepted that. And, and so that's how we're justified. Number three is, is faith in Christ. We're redeemed from my sin. We're, 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 bought, um, we're brought back from slavery into God's family. We're adopted into God's family, as Scripture says. And we're, we're bought out of slavery through the price that Jesus pays on the cross. 